The Old Testament reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, beginning at the first verse. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these forty years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The epistle reading comes from Paul's first letter to Timothy, the second chapter. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks And the Holy Gospel serves as the text for our sermon this evening. comes to us according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And this is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanksgiving is great. We celebrate the harvest, we look back over the year, and we give thanks to God for all of the many things that he has done for us. 
We gather together with friends and family. We come together in love and charity, and we have a feast. And one of the best parts of Thanksgiving is knowing full well that you are making and consuming a whole lot of food. I mean, this is Thanksgiving, so let's have a bounty. Let's have a table full. As we were shopping for supplies this week, I was doing some mental calculations for what groceries we needed. It's just our family this year, so what size turkey do we need? Well, I figure each person needs at least a pound and a half, so 12 pounds minimum, which translates to an 18-pound bird by my math, plus a couple extra pounds just to be safe. How many potatoes? Well, at least half a pound per person, so let's just boil up the whole five-pound bag. Sweet potatoes? None, because I hate sweet potatoes. <laughs> but Amy picked those up anyway, because I guess other people like them for some reason. Eight boxes of Jello, a couple jars of pickles for the relish tray, two cans of black olives. Have you ever seen a shopping cart bend from the weight of the groceries? I mean, good thing it's just us. And so back in the kitchen, as we're unloading the groceries and trying to find room in the refrigerator and the pantry for everything, I kind of take stock. And back here at home, everything looks a little bit more than it did in the aisles of the store. I mean, this is just an insane amount of food. If we cook all this up, there's no possible way that we could eat all of this in one sitting, which is exactly how I wanted it. I know that we're not going to eat that much turkey for dinner tomorrow. I realize that even if we've got some real Thanksgiving champions at the table, we're going to take out maybe half of the potatoes that we're going to cook. I know that we will be lucky to finish off even one dish that we're going to be putting out on the table. And that's why, back at the store, perched on the very peak of that mountain of groceries, set a package of those little disposable containers. You see, Thanksgiving is really all about the leftovers. After the meal, once we've filled ourselves several times over, we are going to look at all that's left and we are going to realize that we still have several meals worth of food sitting here, prepared, ready. Thanksgiving evening, while we're relaxing and watching TV, nothing tastes better than some cold turkey on a leftover roll with a little bit of mustard. The next day, after waking up from our turkey-induced comas, we'll think, What's for lunch? I know. How about some of that salad from yesterday? We don't have to cook for several days. We get to relive the bounty of Thanksgiving for more than just one day. It's all about the leftovers. And you know what? I'm not the only one who loves leftovers. Did you realize that God loves leftovers as well? Now, I'm not implying that God has some great cosmic refrigerator stacked with Tupperware. But as we gather together for Thanksgiving, as we pray and give thanks to our Lord, for him, it's all about the leftovers. Oh, but pastor, you might say, that doesn't seem right. Aren't we supposed to give God our first fruits? Aren't we supposed to offer up to the Lord the best? Absolutely yes. But the thing is, the first fruits of thanks 
the first fruits of anything that we give to him. The best that we can offer is simply the leftovers of what he has already given to us. Look at our Bible reading for today. It's a familiar account, one that we've heard many different times. Ten lepers call out to Jesus for healing. They're outcasts. They're banished from the community because of their condition. They cry out from a distance, knowing that they are unclean, that they can't even approach Jesus. And they shout out simply, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They can't offer a good reason why. They don't say, Jesus, have mercy on us because we're all really good guys and we deserve it. They don't have anything to give him in return. There is no earthly reason whatsoever for Jesus to heal these ten lepers. And yet, he does. He says to them, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus gave to them a miraculous healing with no merit at all on their part. He didn't have to do it. He wasn't obligated one bit to heal these men. But out of his mercy, his grace, his love, he gave to them a most wondrous, lavish, life-saving gift. He made them whole again. All ten of them. But one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Now this in and of itself is kind of amazing. Because you see, if a person was healed of leprosy, they could only be restored to their place in society by a priest. The priest would inspect them, see that the leprosy was completely gone, proclaim them free of their affliction, and would then return all the rights that they had been deprived of for so long. These ten men had been outcasts, removed from their positions in the community, separated from their family because of their leprosy. We don't know exactly how long, but does it really matter? Wouldn't you want to be restored as quickly as possible? Wouldn't you try to outrun the other nine guys to be the first one back to the temple and say, me first, do me, look at me? Wouldn't you want the priest to say that you were healed so that you could return to your family and friends, so you could start celebrating, so you could get back to that life that had been taken away from you? You would want to get to that priest as quickly as possible so that you could start living again. That would probably be the only thought in your mind. But this leper, a Samaritan, a despised person of mixed blood, upon seeing that he was healed, turned back. He didn't go on to the priest. He turned back to Jesus, praising God. Before, with the leprosy, he had to stand at a distance. But now, he falls at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to God, singing the praises of Jesus Christ, simply because Jesus had healed him. The thanks that he gives to God are simply the leftovers of the healing that Jesus gave to him. And God loves leftovers. Well, the same is true for us. Just like these ten men, we too were afflicted. Not just with leprosy, a disease of the body. Our affliction was much, much worse. Much more critical. Our affliction is an affliction of both body and soul. The affliction 
of sin. And just like these men, we were removed from our place in society. We were separated from others because of it. Our sin had separated us from God, had made us outcasts of heaven. Because of our sin, we couldn't approach God. We couldn't take part in the society of the saints. In fact, we were much worse off than these ten lepers were. They had to stand at a distance and cry out for mercy from Jesus. We couldn't even do that. We weren't just afflicted by sin. We were dead in our sin. And dead people can't do anything. Dead people can't cry out for mercy. Dead people can't plead for anything. We could not approach God. We could not call out to him. We could not take part in his holiness. We couldn't do anything, even beg of him to give us mercy. We had no hope at all. But God, in his mercy, looked upon us with grace, with love, with forgiveness. He saw our pitiful condition, and since we couldn't do anything, God did something about it. God saw that our sin separated us from him. And he didn't want that. Even though we were sinful, even though we were rebellious, even though we had nothing at all to offer him in return, God saved us from our sin. From the first sin that entered into this world in the Garden of Eden, God promised a redeemer, one who would take that sin away, one who would make things right with him. Before Adam and Eve could even cry out for mercy, God gave them the promise of a Savior, one who would crush Satan's head. God promised that this Savior would heal us. He wouldn't just hide the affliction or take away some of the symptoms. God would take care of the very source of the problem. God would do it all, since there was nothing that we could do for ourselves. And God is faithful to his word. That promise of the Savior, the Messiah, it was repeated over and over all throughout the history of Israel. New details were revealed. The promise was passed from generation to generation until finally, when the time was right, God fulfilled that promise completely. Not by sending some fiery angel to engage in a spectacular battle with the forces of evil, but instead that promise was fulfilled as a young virgin gave birth to a baby in a stable in some backwater town in Judea. But that was no ordinary baby. It was the Messiah, God himself, in our flesh. Our Savior, our Redeemer, the promised one who takes away the sins of the world, had come to us. But his birth, that was just the beginning of his work. Jesus grew just like we did. He felt pain just like we did. He felt sorrow and sadness just like we did. He felt the temptations of sin just like we did. God walked in our shoes completely, lived an earthly life just as we did, but with one major exception. While we were afflicted and affected by sin, Christ was holy and perfect. He was without stain or blemish. He alone was able to come before God and cry out on our behalf. And cry out he did. Not just with a plea for God to heal us. Jesus cried out in the pains of death. 
He who was without sin took our place beneath the wrath of God. All the sin that we had committed, everything for which we deserve to be punished, Jesus took it all upon himself. Not because he had to. Not because he was obligated to. Simply because he loved us. Out of grace, that undeserved gift, Jesus Christ gave himself over to death, even death on a cross. As his enemies laughed, as Satan celebrated a victory, Jesus gave his life in our place, dying so that we could live. But Satan's victory celebration, it was short-lived. For on the third day, that glorious first Easter morning, Jesus rose again from the grave. He rose in glory to announce his victory over sin, death, and the devil. He proclaimed to the whole world that our sin had been forgiven, that we had been restored to our rightful place with God, that we were no longer separated and cast out. We who were dead had been made alive, not just physically, but spiritually, not just for a mere 80 to 100 years, but for all eternity. And because of that wondrous gift, we, like the Samaritan, can return to Jesus and give him thanks. We can fall down at his feet, praising God, singing his glory, telling the world what he has done, simply because God has given us such a bounty of forgiveness and life and blessing. We are not giving him anything out of our own inherent goodness. We are simply giving back to God what he has first given to us. And God loves leftovers. God loves to hear our praises, our thanksgivings, our prayers, our songs. Those things don't earn us more favor in his sight because he's already given us the greatest gift ever. He's lifted us to the highest possible place as he's made us his own dear children. There's nothing better we could get. But out of thanksgiving, out of joy, recognizing all that God has done for us, we sing his praises We give back to him from that bounty that he has poured out upon us, giving him thanks. You know, as a child, I always sort of wondered why some people called praying before a meal returning thanks. I had this kind of silly picture in my head of two gentlemen in top hats going through a long exchange of why thank you, no thank you, no, 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 thank you. But now I see that that is indeed the right term. We're simply giving back to God from what he first gave to us. We have no treasures of our own. We have nothing to offer him that he has not first given to us. And so we return thanks. We give leftovers to God. Well, a week from now, any of our Thanksgiving leftovers that are still around, they should probably be thrown out as they're going to begin to decay, spoil, smell a little bit funny. But when God has given us, that will never fade away. We'll never go bad. We'll never be thrown out. What God has given us is the eternal gift of forgiveness, of redemption, of salvation, of everlasting life. God has healed us, has made us clean of our sin, and has given us life. He's poured out upon us an unimaginable bounty of gifts He has restored us in his sight. He has made us his dear children. He has given us the promise of eternal life through the cross and empty tomb 
of Jesus Christ. And in return, having nothing of our own to give him, we give him our leftovers. And God loves leftovers. We give him our thanks, our praise, our songs of adoration, but we give to him only from what he has first given to us. And what he has given us is a precious gift beyond anything that we could have hoped for as sinners. For by the cross of Jesus Christ, by his empty tomb, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.